Hey, this is WWE superstar and two-time WWE Grand Slam champion, The Miz, and I'm here to tell you about the best way to champion your NFL team this upcoming season. WWE Legacy Title Belts. That's right, WWE Legacy Title Belts, an officially licensed NFL product. These WWE Legacy Title Belts are premium quality and have been created for all 32 NFL teams. And as someone who's proudly carried title belts on my shoulder, secured them to my waist, and displayed them in my home, I can tell you that nothing will catch people's eyes quite like the WWE Legacy title belts. So whether you love the Steelers like Marchand or the Commanders like Orand, visit fanatics.com, nflshop.com, or wweshop.com today to purchase a WWE Legacy title belt for yourself or the biggest NFL fan in your life. Take it from me. There. Awesome. John, ESPN and Spectrum, the new frontier of sports media takes another step. Andrew, we'll talk about that. NFL week one, and we have two big gets this week. Marcus Spears and Justin Connolly. And we're back. The Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. And John, the cable disagreement between ESPN and Spectrum went from 0% to 100%. Uh, RIP Orandometer, Andrew. RIP. It, it, it lived a good life. We'll get into that. Um, although you did say that a deal was going to happen. So you were kind of, I'll give you half credit. Although the 0%, we have to, we'll have to go and analyze the 0%. Uh, we'll have Connolly, new, new section, we're called, new segment, we're calling Inside the News, uh, where we'll talk to Justin Connolly, who's Disney's president of platform distribution uh, and one of the main executives on the deal. Uh, so we'll go about 5, 10, 15 minutes with him uh, in a little bit. And then uh, Marcus Spears, who's just skyrocketing on ESPN. Uh, we'll talk with him in the big get. So let's do it. Who's up? Who's down? Andrew, who's up? Who's down? Why don't you lead us off? My who's up is Joe Buck. He and Troy Aikman will surpass Pat Summerall and John Madden as the longest tenured uh, broadcast duo in NFL history uh, as they move into their 22nd year. Now, that is if they complete their 22nd year. Joe Buck was on the Michael K show here on ESPN radio in New York. And he had this to say, we're lucky that, that we have gotten to do it this long. Um, and I think we only break the record if we finish the year. So uh, <laughs> we haven't broken it yet. And we, you know, it, it's ESPN. We could be fired tomorrow. That's a pretty good line from Joe Buckle sensitive to it. But I guess if you uh, have a long-term contract, you could say those things, uh, but a, a good line, but then, this is why he's getting my who's up. Obviously, the familiarity of Buck's voice in terms of big games. There's that correlation that's been great for Monday Night Football here in their second year. But also, and I think this is the big thing, he makes it look easy. You know, you, you, that's like the key to broadcasting or basically um, most media is that you want to simplify things and make them easier to understand. And you listen to this now, you're listening to this without the video, but this is the call of the game winning punt return at the end of the overtime game between the Jets and the Bills on Monday night. Gibson on the return, near side. I don't see any flags. Gibson inside the 30, hits the Jets. And he's going to go, just win it, 
Touchdown, rookie Xavier Gibson. Game over. And that's quintessential Joe Buck. Uh, big performance by him. And it's those big calls. You just want to have confidence. When you're at these big entities, if you're uh, Fox on Sundays, if you're NBC on Sundays, um, CBS on Sundays, you want your best people there. Uh, and you want to have confidence they're going to make the right call. Uh, and I think ESPN, second year with Joe Buck, yes, they're paying him a lot of money, but uh, it's it's been worth it. All right, Andrew, my who's up? Deion Sanders, the coach of Colorado. Uh, he was a college football coach in his first year at a D1 school. The marketing focus for Fox Sports for the first two weeks. And boy, did that pay off. Fox had, according to Austin Karp, more than 7 million viewers in week one. Almost 9 million viewers in a week two win over Nebraska. And so in week three, Fox once again is going deep into Dion and they're going to send their big noon kickoff pregame show to Colorado, even though they don't have the game. ESPN, they're also going to send their college game day to Colorado in, in, in order to, to hype up the game that's going to be on ESPN. So there's a reason that these networks have dived into Deion Sanders. He's a bona fide TV star. He's creating a huge amount of interest around around Colorado, which won just one game last year. You don't see these kind of marketing in college football around coaches. You do in college basketball generally, but in college football, it's really around sort of the star quarterbacks or just the generic team. Fox's decision to go deep on Deion Sanders really has been paying off. Right, my who's down is the internet and SEC Network's Pete Sousa. Sousa was calling Kentucky's game the other day featuring Ray Davis, and this is what he said. And there is Ray Davis, 51 yards on that drive alone, running and receiving. He's a guy transferring over from Vanderbilt. Nine months ago when he jumped in the portal, everybody wanted him. 11 years ago as a foster kid, really nobody wanted him. And now here he has found some love, found football, and he has had an amazing journey. Now, this went viral on the Internet. It's not great. I mean, it wasn't perfectly said, perhaps. Uh, but this is what happens with the Internet. And my problem with the Internet here is it you got to go beyond the headlines a lot of times. I mean, someone tweets it out. They put kind of a, a big kind of a tweet with it, making it seem worse than it is. And there's no context to it. Um, and I think the, the point here is, you know, again, first off, you know, the words, I mean, what he said weren't like, I don't think it's that terrible, but my problem with it is we should be judging people's intent. Does anybody think Sousa was trying to say something um, wrong here? No, he wasn't like, there's, there's nothing that he's trying to um, highlight where Davis has come from and um, how his life has changed. Um, and, it probably was fine. It just was tweeted out um, as a game. A lot of people weren't even watching. And then here's a little more context about Pete Sousa, who's an anchor in Waco. He's done a lot of stories on foster children, um, uplifting stories. Um, and so you add that context into it and you understand when he said what he said about Ray Davis, it's kind of, um, I don't think he deserves really scorn here. Um, and I think it's tough because you know, someone can just tweet out something. They can kind of get it wrong. And this happens over and over now. And then it just goes everywhere and everyone picks it up and the stories, everyone headlines everywhere and context is lost. And so I think it's just something that we kind of all should sort of remember 
you know, I mean, these stories, are, there's no way to stop the internet. I mean, there's places that compile um, and aggregate all day and night, and it's fine. Uh, but context is important. And I think kind of when you know the context, especially that he's done a million stories on foster children, uplifting stories, I, I think it changes kind of your perspective on what this is. But I think if you, right now, if you were to Google Pete Seuss's name, uh, this would be the first thing that comes up. You know, I don't think that's right necessarily. I'm not sure what we do about that, but I just think context is important. Andrew, my who's down, Howard Katz. He's the schedule maker at the NFL and having Aaron Rodgers out for the season after on the fourth play of the opening game kills the, it doesn't kill the entire schedule, but if you look back in the spring, the schedule or release date was kept getting pushed back. And one of the main reasons why it was getting pushed back is because nobody knew where Aaron Rodgers was going to play. And he ends up going to the jets. And while they put him on ESPN Monday night football twice, he's on Sunday night football a couple of times. Amazon has two jets games uh, coming up. And you know, that was important to the NFL to seed Amazon with really good games. Maybe that's going to be one of the flex games uh, that Amazon potentially can, can, can use. Having somebody like Aaron Rodgers go down after creating this intricate schedule where you have the Jets in prime positions, it, it's really tough. It's not to say that the Jets aren't going to win. It's just to say that Zach Wilson does not have the, uh, it does not bring the TV eyeballs that an Aaron Rodgers brings. So it's a, it, it, it was a devastating blow to the Jets and to some of these primetime matchups that just don't look attractive anymore. All right, John, let's move to the topics, and we're going to do something a little bit different this week. We're going to go inside the news uh, with the biggest story that we have and someone who was involved um, intimately in uh, the move with Charter, Spectrum, and ESPN and Disney. Uh, and so uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. Yeah, and, uh, so we're bringing on inside the news. We're bringing on Justin Connolly, who is Disney's president of platform distribution and one of the main executives that was actually in the room uh, cutting the charter deal. Justin's been with Disney. I looked this up, Justin, a quarter century you've been with <laughs> Disney. Did you know that? A little less, John. I think it's been 23 years, but I appreciate that. I, I round up, man. <laughs> anyway, that included a 12-year stint at ESPN where he ran the affiliate group. He launched SEC Network. And he was unanimously elected into Sports Business Journal's 40 Under 40 Hall of Fame. I get asked a lot, Justin, where is this Hall of Fame? Come to Charlotte. It's Abe Madcore's basement down there. <laughs> I was actually about to ask you that question, John. You answered it for me. So, <laughs> But nobody wants to be in Abe's basement. I appreciate I appreciate knowing where it is. Take me through. Uh, you look great. I know you had like a, a bunch of sleepless nights. I can't even see the bags under your eyes, Justin. Take us through the weekend that was, how did this deal come about? Yeah, I mean, John, it, it goes back, as you know, several months. I mean, you know, we, we've been in conversation and discussion with Charter uh, throughout the summer and and in lead up to uh, really an, an end of August expiration uh, for an existing and underlying deal. And uh, and look, we, we were unable to, to get to a place and reach a deal that worked for both sides against that deadline. And it went into overtime, so to speak, and within uh, within that window of time, we kept in contact. We have a great relationship uh, with the executives over at Charter. The communication was consistent throughout, uh, and we we finally got to a place uh, within 
you know, let, let's call it the Thursday, Friday zone where we had a structure we could work with uh, across the board. And that structure worked on both sides. Um, and, and we use that really as the momentum builder uh, and then work through the weekend, let's call it, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday to, to really get everything done um, and give us an opportunity to, to get the networks of the Walt Disney Company back up for Charter Spectrum subscribers and in time and ahead of uh, Monday Night Football. So that's that's a little bit of the process. Like working through the weekend, is that in, are you in conference rooms eating pizza? Is it 24-7? Like wh- wh- how does that look? It's changed uh, and and for the good. And a lot of that, you know, one of those COVID silver linings is the comfort level with Zoom and teleconference now. Uh, a lot of these negotiations used to be hunkered down in two conference rooms, meeting in person. Uh, we still have uh, a group and a team, and I want to give a shout out to them. Uh, you know, we had a team of people that were in a war room uh, on our side uh, and eating pizza, basically doing you know three meals a day, separated from their families, just dedicated to to make sure we got this done because there was that level of urgency. And I know on the charter side, you know, they had similar setups uh, in their in their Stanford office. And then we would intermittently hop on Zoom. Uh, there'd be a number of of conversations going on in the background as well, sort of one to one with various executives. And it's a combination of that. It ultimately gets resolved uh, by having teams of people uh, in constant communication on both sides sort of retreating to their corners and then coming back and and discussing and resolving issues. When you look at the deal, Justin, um, what is what does this mean? Like, I, you know, a lot of people have kind of there's a lot of this is uh, are we rebundling? Are we like what what from your perspective, from the Disney ESPN perspective, what does this mean for the current state of sports television and the future of where we're going? Yeah, look, it, I think in in simplest terms, what this means is uh, that there is a acknowledgement related to the way in which consumer engages with media broadly defined. And that engagement happens across multiple platforms um, and the content reaches consumers in different ways. And what this means, I think, is both for Charter and the Walt Disney Company, uh, a, an attempt to acknowledge and build a framework that recognizes that change and continues to provide value for consumers uh, who have an interest in, and I guess pun intended, a full spectrum of options related to the way in which they get their content. So you still have a vibrant, robust, uh, big package, you know, I'd call it the, the sort of buffet that a consumer likes that includes the complete set of sports content that they want in a bundle delivered to them uh, via their cable set-top box or via an app layer uh, within their home. And then on the other end of that same spectrum, you have opportunities for broadband-only customers to subscribe to ESPN Plus or Hulu or Disney Plus. And, and there's sort of you know a lot of flavors in between there. I guess the other option, too, is that when you guys do ESPN DTC, the idea of just selling that, you know, someone's just a broadband customer, but they love sports, but they don't want a whole cable package. Doesn't that become more into the equation with this deal? Yeah, look, I think that becomes more real. And 
at the same time, at least as as we think about it from the ESPN perspective, uh, there's a tremendous amount of value and, and it's been built over a long period of time that lives within that package that, you know, sports fans love, which is, you know, look, I, I want the sports content I can get from multiple different providers. ESPN, I would argue, sort of sits as the foundational element within that package. And we continue to believe that that is not only a, an effective and efficient way, especially for sports fans to get their content, we think it's an incredibly valuable way for them to get it. And so within this deal, there is an acknowledgement of that in terms of you know, broad circulation, distribution commitments, uh, the, the underlying rates that reflect the value proposition of the ESPN networks. And in many ways, both Charter and the Walt Disney Company recommitted to that within this deal. And then the second part, which you were referencing is, look, there is a, a future, and we've been talking about it for a long time, where the ESPN proposition, content proposition, might be available on a direct-to-consumer basis. And the conversation with Charter is, hey, how might we do that together? Uh, and, and we've established a framework on, on how we can do that together. And within that framework is an acknowledgement that a whole host of, of subscribers and customers might want that option. And to the extent they do, we're going to provide it to them. And yet we aren't going to do it in a way that uh, undermines uh, the value proposition that, that Charter provides to its customers in the, in the former bundle. Dustin, we, we've talked on this pod about MFNs the past couple of weeks, more times than we ever had in the previous two years that we've been doing doing the pod. You mentioned framework. Is this like a blueprint as you go forward to to similar deals with other distributors like a Comcast or a DirecTV or or whatever? Yeah, John, I I think I think the short answer is it certainly can be. And and in many ways, especially on the sports side, we think about it in those terms that whatever we might do with charter is something we'd certainly be willing to do industry-wide. I think we really believe in the value related to the sports content and, and for ESPN specifically, and how the template with charter could be used with others. I think maybe the only asterisk I'd put on that is we're also uh, aware and, and appreciate that different partners have different businesses and different interests. I mean, DirecTV, Dish, they're very different than Charter. Uh, the same with, you know, AT&T and Verizon or YouTube TV and Hulu Plus Live TV. They're all very different in terms of their business aims and goals. But, you know, from our perspective, we think there is a, a, a template here that could work for all. And ultimately, we frame that through the, the, the eyes of the consumer. I think we have a proposition that works well for the consumer as we think about consumption patterns and where they're headed. One of the narratives that came out about this deal, and one that I felt too, that this just felt like a different type of deal. You've been doing these deals for for a long time, but in hearing you describe the deal, it seems like a same old, same old type deal almost. How, how would you characterize this deal? Yeah, I, look, I definitely would not describe it as same old, same old. I I, I really do think that within this uh, within this mix there is a very real acknowledgement of the consumer appetite and the consumer engagement in a streaming universe. 
Um, and I, I don't think that has been called out or dealt with as directly and specifically as it has been or was in the context of this deal. So, so I, I do think this deal is, is different and I think it is a, a new paradigm. I also believe, and I think there was a lot written about, you know, hey, this is a referendum on pay television. And I think some of that was overblown and overstated, frankly. Uh, I think the reality is it's, it's a little bit of somewhere in between. It, it is an acknowledgement that the consumer and the engagement with media is changing. And at the same time, it is also a resolution that reinforces the power and the value that lives in that traditional system and, and attempts to bridge those two universes or ecosystems here. And so what does that mean? Are we going to get ESPN, direct-to-consumer, the whole enchilada sooner now? I think the short answer to that is, is uh, we don't know. I, I, I think, like, I don't think this deal sort of has us definitively in the camp of uh, a, a short yes answer to that. I think the consideration set is still, you know, at, at, at some point, ESPN is going to be available on a direct basis to consumers. Um, and, and the timing of that is still TBD. And I do think what's in here is when we do that, we know what that means for Charter and the Walt Disney Company and Charter and ESPN specifically. All right. Well, I'm going to let you get in. We have a bet that we started at the beginning of this uh, podcast. Okay. And it was within five years, I said direct to consumer. ESPN will go direct to consumer. So that's uh, what three years now? from now. Yeah. Two years. Yeah. So three years. We have three years still. So 25 or 20. By 2026, will ESPN be direct to consumer? I cannot answer that question and resolve that bet for you. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> no, I, but I'm not asking you to resolve it. I'm asking you to take, you can get in. You can have no, dinner with Jock in there. I, I, I don't want in. I feel like th that would be like, you know, an NBA ref, bet, you know, or, or, or a referee in any sport betting on. on. You'll be like Calvin Ridley. You'll be out for a year. All right. So we'll, we'll save you from that. But I'll take it as a yes that you're on my side, Justin. I appreciate that. Well, you know, you, By the you way, were... what, what's this? And I listen to the pod, but what's the stakes for the bet? It's either uh, expense to SBJ or it's expense to uh, New York Post. It's, a, it's at steak dinner. It's steak dinner in, in Manhattan. I see. All right. Yeah. Most expensive dinner you could find. Del Frisco's. So, Del Frisco's. So yeah, uh, I'm pretty, I'm feeling good. 26. It's going to be by 20. It'll be 25, maybe in 26, definitely by then. So on that note, as you, as you look at the cable universe and you're like, there's an acknowledgement that there's cord cutting, obviously. Uh, and there's an acknowledgement that there's a, a rise of, of streaming. Where do you see the floor going? Is there a chance in your mind that the cable universe could go down to zero? Short answer to that is no. Um, it, 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 certainly in my mind, I, I continue to believe, and I suspect most, if not all of the listeners to, to the pod here are fans who have an absolute need for a packaged linear product of sports content. Um, and, you know, I, I, I look, I continue to find uh, pockets of family, friends, acquaintance, acquaintances that, that find real value in that notion of a consolidated linear TV package. Um, 
I think everybody sort of has a crystal ball on what they believe that looks like in terms of, okay, where does that settle in? Um, and I don't think anybody has a, a perfect crystal ball on that, but I do believe there will continue to be uh, a demand and a value proposition for consumers around a bundled packaged media product with sports as a foundational element. When we talk about a lot, you know, ESPN direct to consumer, but, and I, and I, obviously that will be a monumental thing when it happens. My opinion though, is that it might not have as big an impact as maybe we kind of treat it in the sense of not that that's bad for ESPN is that the people who want ESPN are getting ESPN, right? And yes, there are probably people who leave and don't have ESPN, but I can't imagine there's that many who are going to go like years now without ESPN and then they're going to want it in two years. Am I wrong in saying so? And I think what's sometimes misunderstood, obviously you, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but is that it's still going to be provided as this agreement shows on cable and all these other entities. So do you think we're kind of over maybe stating when ESPN goes direct to consumer because there's many ways to get ESPN right now. So either, and, and like, I don't know if it's going to be like such a monumental shift. Is that, what do you think of that hypothesis? Uh, look, I think it's an interesting hypothesis. I, I, I do, and and I can say that we have been pleasantly surprised at the subscriber uptick engagement. And, and look, just the pure subscriber numbers on the ESPN plus side, right? So I, I look at that and, and it's a different proposition, but, but I look at that as a proxy related to the demand and the value related to an ESPN branded streaming opportunity, right? And, and, and so that makes me think that even a, you know, a, a full suite ESPN streamed proposition, I think could have quite a lot of interest and engagement just based on the experience we have with ESPN Plus. And then I expand that a little further. Look, I think one of the great strengths that ESPN has is not just ESPN Plus and not just the linear component that lives in the bundles, but ESPN's digital presence is, is staggering. It, 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 it is the first place for fans, you know, in terms of where they go for a digital experience in everything from scores to, to, to long-form storytelling to game recaps, to highlights, et cetera. And I do think that just the frequency um, and the, the level of engagement that we have on those digital platforms broadly sets up, Andrew, for the opportunity for ESPN Plus and an ESPN flagship product to continue to have a whole lot of interest and engagement. And, and so, again, this, this is something that you know, we're going to find out and and we'll see uh, we'll see where it lands. But I, I do believe that, you know, a, a streamed ESPN proposition can attract a, an impactful, meaningful audience on a standalone basis. Based on, you know, the cable bundle, which has been great for ESPN uh, and not just ESPN. We focus on ESPN so much because you're sort of the, the biggest part of the cable bundle, but really all of sports TV. Uh, it's been it's been dropping. Uh, direct to consumer, at least in the near term, isn't going to be able to make up that those that revenue that uh, that is being lost from uh, from cord cutting and, and the drop in, in subscribers there. As we look to the uh, potential rights that are out there, ESPN has been very disciplined in terms of uh, you know it didn't didn't do a, a Big Ten deal. 
said no to MLS. Uh, 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 NASCAR uh, a while back said uh, said no to. What sort of message do you want to send out to leagues or conferences uh, about sort of where ESPN is in terms of of uh, the rights play? Look, I'll I'll start, and, and you know. Uh, th- that is not the area that our team focuses on, right? So, so Roz Durant obviously is uh, is running point on all of those relationships, and and Jimmy has a deep relationship, and Burke from his time uh, in that role as well. I, I guess let let me let me come at the question this way, which is, I, I still look at the ecosystem broadly, and I think that there are relationships that have been built up over time and really strong relationships. Uh, and I'd start with, you know, the relationship we have with Charter or the relationship we have with Comcast or DirecTV. Those relationships continue to be strong and functional. And there is a mutual interest um, while we compete on certain things and at, at a certain level. I think there's a mutual interest uh, in trying to build a proposition for consumers that that works really well. I think similarly as it relates to the league relationships, it those continue to be incredibly strong, uh, you know, between ESPN and those leagues. And there is a desire for both of us to thrive and figure out what this means for the consumer uh, and what it means for the relationship you know, between us and among us. And and by the way, I actually think that extends out to the way we compete in the sports ecosystem, whether that be with NBC Sports or or Turner or Fox. Uh, there's this similar respect and desire, I think, to, to figure out ways that, to your point, we continue to uh, deliver value to consumers in a model that works for the consumer and works for us. It's a, it's a long way uh, and, and a roundabout answer to what you were asking. I guess what I would take away from it is, look, we still have a, a strong interest, strong relationship with a whole host of rights uh, owners. Um, and my feeling is that this doesn't change that. I mean, there will be implications around it, but I don't think it changes the desire and interest to still partner with those players that we've been in business for a long time to figure out ways in which we serve the consumer and do the right things for our respective businesses. Uh, Justin, in 20 years, when they ask who the first inside the news guest is for the Marchand and Oran Sports Media Podcast, you will be the answer to that trivia question. I, I, I always enjoy talking to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. And Andrew, good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks, Justin. Andrew, I love the idea of getting somebody in the room on the pod to talk about the deal, what it means for Disney and what it means for really the, the the business as a whole. But we've been covering this now for two weeks. You saw the deal. You know the deal terms. Your opinion, who won, who lost? Well, who lost? Well, let's play this clip. <laughs> By Monday Night Football. Is there a deal done between Charter Spectrum and Disney? I love this prediction because it could be totally wrong by tomorrow, but I say there's no chance there's a deal done before Monday Night Football. Thank you for playing that clip. Let's play this clip. I still believe that Charter's not ready to give up on video and that there's going to be 
a deal to be had at some point. All right, fine. So listen, last week, John, we put him on the spot. He said 0%. When he said 0% to me, I got to say, I really thought a deal was going to happen, like definitely. And then to add to the jinx, I went and got, I have Spectrum, so I went and got Sling to make this deal happen. So those two things, I think, went together. But listen, I'll give you you 50% because you did say that a deal was going to happen. The 0%, you went on a huge limb and you got the crash down, but you didn't. First off, the customers are losers because we had to go with 10 days without, you know, de- with dealing with this and your bill doesn't change. Uh, so that those are the first losers. Uh, uh, your bill's going to change, Andrew. Yeah, it's going to go up. It's going up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Your bill's going to go up. Look, I think I think they kind of both won. I got to be honest with you. They, and that You don't like that. <laughs> you want me to do 0%, 100%? How'd that work out? Uh, I think they both won. I'll tell you why. Because I do think the best way for ESPN to go forward is to have be a part of a bundle. I don't think like going alone really works when you're leasing like sports. I think the biggest thing you want to do in subscription is have someone pay for you, pay for it and then forget about it. And when it gets lost in the bundle, that's what ESPN's part of their success. Obviously it's super popular. Obviously the programming sports program is the most important programming uh, in all of entertainment. Um, and ESPN, you know, has the best portfolio of anyone from, you know, the top events to tonnage, um, and, um, so when you look at it, you know, I think that it's a win for them that long-term that spectrum kind of forced them to do this, um, in the short term, I think spectrum has changed the game a little bit. Justin said that, um, in our interview with him just now that it was a different negotiation. And I think spectrum got, you know, basically everything they wanted out of this deal. Um, and so I think that you can't think that they didn't win. I do think it was a good deal for Disney. Uh, they they mean they they're get, getting paid extra for ESPN, uh, and and they're keeping ESPN as part of the cable bundle for at least the next four years going forward. But I'm going to give the nod to Charter as the winner of this, and uh, for, for the simple reason is the, the leverage has changed completely from. It used to be the content that held all the leverage. ESPN has held all the leverage in these negotiations for years. And so if you if you missed a weekend of college football in the past, distributors couldn't have, uh, have done without that, that. This year, Charter figured out a way around that, turned out the leverage, and the leverage now, Disney needs to be a part of this bundle. Disney needs this bundle to to exist and survive for at least you know the next uh, uh, at least until they can figure out how to how to really profit from uh, direct to consumer what uh, when it comes out. All right, John. Let's move to topic two. This could be a topic one if it wasn't such a big deal with ESPN and Spectrum. But the NFL started this weekend. A lot of stuff going on. Week one of the NFL season. Well, we uh, we talked about what uh, in the beginning about what happened on Monday Night Football with Aaron Rodgers and 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 his knee. Uh, the uh, opening game on Thursday night with uh, NBC was a, a you know a, a thriller down to the last second. Uh, Fox and CBS uh, rolled out their 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 crews, which uh, sounded a lot like last year's, virtually the same as last year's. You watched a lot over the weekend. What did you think? Yeah, the biggest story I think is Sunday Ticket and YouTube. Um, and like we said about Amazon last year, to me, it's a win. If it worked, right? We can talk about, um, you know, I was in a hotel, so I couldn't get the multi-view. It only works on your smart TV. So I was on my iPad 
and my phone and you couldn't get it on that. Um, and I had the regular, you know, the local channel on my, the TV in the hotel room. Um, so yeah, that's something hopefully they can work out. Um, but overall it worked. Um, and that's a win. Um, obviously with YouTube and Google as compared to direct TV, you're going to have more people who have access to it. What that will mean long-term in terms of the numbers, does this make sense? We'll see. Um, but I thought that was the biggest storyline, um, for me. I was not watching the Sunday ticket, uh, but I was following, uh, social media and I did not see what I expected to see, which is a, a realm of complaints coming about uh, about uh, YouTube and, and the Sunday ticket service. But one of the things that I'm going to be looking for is what the subscriber base is going to be. Like, how big is YouTube going to be able to grow the Sunday ticket package? And when I look at what the NFL has done, which is taking the Red Zone channel and streaming it direct to consumer through NFL Plus, mm. how many subscribers do you think that's taking from, from Google YouTube? Like, I, I, I was really surprised to see the NFL do that because a lot of people, you know, they, they want Sunday ticket in order to sort of access red zone and, and now red zones available direct to consumer. I just think that that's, that has a potential to harm the amount of subscribers that would go to Sunday ticket. So you're telling me the NFL, the people there, they did something that was just good for the NFL and they didn't really <laughs> care about the other people. That's a shocker to me. They don't have phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, well, so phenomenal. I'm really surprised that it wasn't in the contract that like, you can't take this chance. When the NFL launched Red Zone, DirecTV was furious because it was, it was originally the DirecTV channel. Yep. And uh, and it was like, why are you launching this in order to get cable people not to drop cable and come over to DirecTV? And, and uh DirecTV never liked that. And they're doing the same thing now with uh, NFL Plus and, and NFL Red Zone. So, Andrew, you watched a lot. Who are some of the newcomers that you uh, are, were, were particularly enamored by? I don't want to, like, you know, put anybody in, like, some, like, you know, stratosphere just yet, right? There wasn't, like, when Tony Romo made his debut all those years ago. He's just, like, an instant sensation. But I did think Devin McCourty on NBC, uh, you know, was really good. Um, there's just a... Again, you know, a comfort level that he had on the air. Um, it just he felt like it wasn't, you know, it didn't seem, he didn't seem overwhelmed by it. Now, um, you know, he's got to, you know, work on some things in terms of uh, getting right to his point and being, but just a good presence, smiling a lot, which is, you know, it's a visual medium. So I thought he was really good. JJ uh, Watt, I thought was very solid for CBS um as they transition uh you know into what their future looks like in a super bowl year you know i thought he did he was he was very you know good you know studio is different than games you know next year at this time if tom brady does it uh you know we'll be talking about brady we'll, we'll start that first podcast just analyzing brady for like 20 minutes um <laughs> because it's tom brady and games are much harder um so that's an easier transition to do studio you can plan it out better games are difficult um, you know, and I will say when I think about Brady and I don't know if his brain is the same as Peyton Manning's, but I will say with the Manning cast, the thing that Peyton is just like, it's just incredible what he sees and says, um, in real time. I know it's Peyton Manning. I mean, you could argue best quarterback ever. Um, and, but what he notices in real time is really something else. And with Eli too, but like Peyton's just on like another, like Menza level. That's how I watch Monday Night Football. And I, I wanted to take, how, how long ago was the Boogermobile? 
Booger would be all, say four or five years ago. Four or five years ago. Yeah. How far has ESPN come? Because they, they have Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, who are your who's up this week. They have the Manning cast, which I watch every time it's on because because of that. I think I think Peyton Manning sees the game differently. And I, I, I learned something almost every episode that he's on. And when he has guests, like he had Ryan Fitzpatrick on for the uh, third and fourth quarter, and they were just talking football and like a, you know, in, in a way that, that was still easy to digest. I still understood what they were saying, but it was, it was fascinating to me. I, and I, 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 I think that was really good. And then you take a look at how uh, they brought over uh, my college classmate, Scott Van Pelt to do the uh, studio show and, coming into the game, coming out of the game with, he's just a pro It just ESPN's NFL telecasts are uh, up there with anybody as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, one thing I didn't understand, I don't know where like in the Aaron Rodgers injury, uh, it took him a very long time to get the Lisa Salters. And it's not that I know, you know, some people say, well, maybe you shouldn't have information. And yeah, the information's hard to get exactly. But like the idea of having a sideline reporter to me in those circumstances, this is the this is one of the biggest stories. It's the first game. It's the biggest story of the Jet season. It's one of the biggest stories of the NFL season. And we're in week one, but we know when we get to week seventeen, we get to January, we get to February. This Aaron Rodgers out for the year story is a humongous story. So I didn't understand if you have the sideline reporter, you have Salters down there. Why not? Why not go to her? Give us a feel of what the sideline is like. Um, maybe they're still upbeat. I mean, they end up going on a win. Are they solemn? Uh, give us a sense of what's going on on the field. That's what it's not just getting. Obviously, you got to be sensitive and you got to figure out the information. And, you know, nobody knew for certain. You know, I know there's a lot of uh, social media sleuths who have diagnoses that sometimes are right. And they're like, oh, we are. But sometimes they're wrong. Uh, and so <laughs> uh, you do have to wait on that. But I thought that was weird how slow they were to get the Salters. Finally, in the second quarter, she uh, had an interview with. Uh, the Jets coach, Robert Sala, um, and asked him about it, which again is, that was good, but awkward in my opinion, in the middle of the game to be doing that kind of interview uh, under those type of circumstances, but good for Sala for doing it and good for ESPN for having that. Uh, Andrew, before we get to our uh, second big get, Marcus Spears, uh, you broke a story about Mina Kimes renewing her deal with ESPN. Walk us through that. So yeah, this is something I almost wrote about in the summer. There was somewhat of a stare down between ESPN and Mina Kimes. Um, and I, there are people at ESPN, top people, um, who were nervous that she might leave. Uh, NFL Network made a big offer. They wanted her. Um, she's out west, so that could have worked out location-wise. Um, but ESPN, um, they kept her. They moved her from six figures to seven figures. Uh, all in, she's making, you know, in the $2 million neighborhood, um, give or take. And, you know, she has a deal with, Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions. Uh, and, you know, Mina Kimes is an incredible story. I wrote a long one, long story about her um, a few years ago. Um, she's really the first analyst, male or female, uh, who didn't play, who's just strictly an analyst. You know, obviously she has her, she became, she was a writer and a reporter, but that's not, she's not like an insider, like a Diana Rossini or a Adam Schefter um, who become TV stars. She did it by being an analyst. Um, and I thought, at the end of the day, for her and for ESPN, it made total sense uh, for her to stay. And so uh, she's going to be a big part of their coverage uh, going forward. Basically the same role. Yeah, I was hardly surprised to see ESPN renew her. She's very good on TV. Everybody I talk to 
in management at ESPN made it clear that uh, they wanted to renew with her. So that didn't surprise me at all. John, the big get Marcus Spears, Marcus, 10 years at ESPN. When did that happen? That's been a decade at ESPN now. Uh, Just keeps going up and up. NFL live every day. Uh, Got get up sports center. First take. Uh, and then added Monday Night Countdown with Scott Van Pelt, made that debut of that show uh, the other night uh, with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, we appreciate uh, you giving us some time. Drew, thank you, man. You know, I'm a big fan of yours. and You did one of the first pieces on me in media that that really stuck with everybody. So it's good to be with, with both of you guys. Andrew Marchand, he makes careers. I love that. I love hearing that. I'm starting to figure it out, man. It took 10 years, but I'm starting to figure it out. (laughs) Hey, Marcus, so 10 years ago, take us back. How'd you land this job at ESPN? Believe it or not, man, social media, right? The new generation. Um, I tweeted Stephanie Drewley, um, sent her a direct message and was like, I like to be on SEC Network. I was just finishing up in the NFL and um, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And my sister actually called me. My sister Deidre called me and said, have you heard about um, they starting the SEC network um, under ESPN? And I was like, yeah, I heard about it. But, you know, I'm in, in my mind, I'm about to fish and hunt and, and just relax. <laughs> and I told my wife, like, eventually I want to do some local radio in Dallas because when I was playing for the Cowboys, I did a radio show every Tuesday on our off days and um, had done some local media there as well. I started a hunting show there. So I was in media, but not, you know, on this scale. And then uh, my wife, she killed the dream of of the radio. She was like, you need to be on TV. And uh, so I, I DM Stephanie and she hit me back on a direct message and said, send me some reels. And guys, I'm telling you, I was like fishing reels. Like, why would she want me? To <laughs> why would she want me to see her fishing reels? And uh, literally, I put reels with a question mark because that's what I was thinking. And she said, "Anything you've done on TV?" I was scouring, trying to find stuff that I had done. Sent in a few reels. I'm sure they stuck. Um, but she gave me a chance. And um, originally, I was supposed to just do studio. I was going to do the studio show SEC Now. And about two weeks later, she called me back and was like, we're going to put you on SEC Nation. It's a two-hour live pregame show leading into the SEC game of the week. And I was like, you sure? And she said, yeah. (laughs) She said, I know you don't know anything about TV. Just be you. And uh, 10 years later, that's all I'm doing is being me. It's still, I still don't know everything about TV. (laughs) When when did you really, so you did a radio show in Dallas. Uh, Yes. When when did you realize that you were, that Two two part question here that you were good at media that you were and and that you that was something that you wanted to pursue. To be honest with you, I didn't I didn't care if I was good at media. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't like. I guess you know. The, I'm, I'm sitting there at a point now where you've been where I've been promoted and put on different shows, and obviously something is going right. My biggest focus, and Drew knows this, I was just gonna be me and see if it worked. Um, and that's kind of like been my strategy since I started in television. Uh, If you ask anybody, when I was on SEC Network, I'm not doing much different personality-wise than I was doing then, because all I know how to be is myself. Um, I learned a lot about the media industry, though, when I started working on bigger shows like Get Up and First Take and uh, 
Greeny and Stephen A kind of taking me under their wing and kind of teaching me about how important it is to get in and out of breaks, making sure that we leave time for certain things. Uh, this is the short segment. You got time to expound on this. So um, that that part of the technical aspect, but as far as um, as far as knowing I was good in TV, I guess what when, when they start putting me on shows that a lot of people watch. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Now you won a national championship at LSU and mm -hmm. you're a cowboy had some time with the Ravens as well. Um, and like when people come, Aaron Rodgers comes to New York, everyone talks about the back page and sports radio. And obviously everyone has social media. My question for you though, is like, what is it like being a Dallas cowboy with the media there and the national spot? Like, how do you guys look at it? What is the dynamic there? You know, Drew, I, I liken it to being in the WWE where it's a consistent media presence um every day you go to the bathroom it's a reporter somewhere uh on your way to the bathroom so it really prepares you and i think that's why you see a lot of guys have success that leave dallas in media because it's almost like it's the second phase of being a professional athlete there you just ingrained like ed Werder used to hang around all the time and i would ask ed like how is it to work for espn espn being this iconic thing that we all grew up watching um, Stuart Scott was the reason why I gravitated to sports media because he was a black man on Sports Center, you know, talking like people around me talk. So I was like, this cool. Um, but I think just being in Dallas, man, you so ingrained with it, and it's such a big part of how they sell their organization. And then too, Drew, like people don't realize Dallas the top five media market in in this in the country. So. Um, your local and regional publications, your radio shows, them things get syndicated and they got, when I found out, I just found out recently, you could make a crazy amount of money doing TV. <laughs> like, I didn't know that uh, until y'all start putting numbers out there. <laughs> I was like, damn, you can do that, uh, doing television. Um, and then, so, you know, finding out some, you know, by some local radio guys in Dallas that have been in the industry forever, you know, these dudes, you know, they they showing up really, really nice neighborhoods, nice cars. I'm like, dude, this is maybe there is something to this thing. Um, but you just always around it. I compare it to either WWE or being like in in a in a traveling band. And the football part for players and the coaches is 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 the the premium, right? That's like our thing. But as soon as you exit. Um, that phase of the Dallas Cowboys, it's media. It's not, it's not, um, it's not anything else as far as a, a, a worldwide or a nationwide medium that's more ingrained outside of actually playing in the NFL and having to do that day to day than the media. And we know Jerry is one of the, probably one of the greatest, not probably one of the greatest salesmen when it comes to sports and a franchise. And you only do that because the cameras are always around. I was going to ask you about Jerry, um, Jerry yeah. Jones, the Cowboys owner. Uh, he's, he's a big media presence. There's owners yeah. you never hear from. Like they don't yeah. talk ever. Uh, Jerry Jones is doing press conferences after games, uh, addressing things. What what what's the dynamic there? I mean, he's the closest thing. You know, we had George Steinbrenner, who's probably yeah. the kingpin of owners in terms of being involved and being boisterous and firing and hiring. 
What is it like with Jerry Jones uh, in terms of that uh, scenario? I think it's particular to your taste. When I was young, it didn't bother me at all because that's what I had always seen. Um, as you become a veteran and you realize how much um, the locker room and the coaching and how much that group of people that's in there on the day-to-day actually trying to win games and have these conversations. Um, the messaging sometimes that Jerry gives is not the same messaging that's going on when you're preparing day-to-day to try to win games and keep the noise out. Um, and we know that if he says something that remotely sounds close to a soundbite or some phase of negativity, then the players and the coaches going to be asked that question more than, you know, what are you guys doing to get ready for the Giants, right? So it, it's um, as you get older, you realize, like, Jerry, just just be quiet sometimes, man. Just, <laughs> like, like, just let it be football and let's not. And, and then, too, on the other side of that, because two things can be true at the same time, it's how you build a $10 billion entity. Um, by by being out front and vocal. And let's not get it twisted, Drew. We want to win games and we want to win Super Bowls and all of that. But these owners, their interest is making money. And Jerry understands that when he does those interviews, that's probably a little bit more cash in his pocket. Marcus, you recently re-upped uh, with ESPN. Mm-hmm. Uh, take me through, as you were th- thinking about re- re-upping with them, what else was out there for you? How did you look at the media landscape? Changing and evolving. I mean, the thing now is podcasts. Uh, and if you can grow one big enough to have your own. I mean, we see McAfee. We see Ryan Clark with the pivot. You guys with this phenomenal podcast. Stephen A now is in the podcast land. Shannon Short with Club Shay Shay. Um, JJ Reddick with, with three men. And um, so it's just a. That median is something that I looked at and I and and look, fellas, like let's be honest. I love the fact that that ESPN wants to continue the relationship. And I love the fact that they've acknowledged um the work that I've done. But we all know the power comes from having your own thing. Um and you having the ability to be flexible. ESPN provides um a phenomenal platform, but to me, ESPN is nostalgic. It's for as much as the media landscape has changed, and we talk about cord cutting, we talk about all of the things that are changing in the media landscape, I compare ESPN to Nike. Regardless of if a new kid come on the block, ESPN will always be the head honcho when it comes to sports media. Um, And that's how I look at it. So to be associated with that. And another thing is I have great relationships within this company. Um, not just the people that I work with, but the executives and people behind the scene. And I understand that this thing changes. Like, you know, we just saw layoffs and we saw things like that transpire. So I'm not um, absent to think that all of those things are possible for me personally. But the bottom line is I'm going to ride it till the wheels fall off. I mean, are you kidding me, man? I work for ESPN, dude. I grew up watching SportsCenter and highlights and hearing Booyah and watching all of these guys. Uh, Van Pelt, when we in the locker room, getting pissed off about something they say negative about your team and loving them when they say something positive. So um, it was more about the the, the relationship with the people. Um, and then my NFL live crew, um, Laura, Dan, Mina, RC, like it was Shefty. Like th- those people matter to me because I'm a team. I come from a team atmosphere my entire life. 
Like I, I played football when I was six. I played football the next 25 years. <laughs> uh, I retired from the NFL when I was 31. So it, that, like, I know team. I know that you lean into the relationships that you have. And you understand also, like I learned in the NFL, business changes that at times. But when you have an opportunity to stay with people you know um, and, and that you know care about you, know want to see you succeed, and everybody is, you know, everybody is a part of everybody's journey. I mean, it's easy to make that decision. Now, the money got to be right, and you got to have, you got to see mobility. You got to have opportunities and windows to do things. But, um, you know, I looked at the landscape. I looked at, you know, it was other, um, it was other networks. It was some podcasts. People reached out. Um, things materialized in other ways as far as, you know, let us know what you're going to do and we'll have an offer on the table. But um, I was never leaving ESPN as long as as long as they got their direct deposit right. <laughs> Did ESPN <laughs> know that as well? Yeah. Yeah, they should. They, they should have known. <laughs> when you look at your career and, and, and who you kind of pattern yourself after, I know you got a pretty good relationship with Charles Barkley. Uh, I'm not saying you try to be like Barkley, but I mean, first of all, he's Auburn, you're LSU. I don't know how that works out exactly. Not good. Not, not good. <laughs> not good. I but, love him. He's a big bro. But, but, not, not good. but the thing I wrote about years ago now is this, you have a presence on TV. You know, you, you talked about um, that you weren't, you know, you didn't know what you were doing, you're, but you're kind of yourself. Like we even saw it the yeah. other night uh, when you, you know, Peyton Manning said the manifestation thing. And you kind of just took it and you do. And that's kind of the key, like one of the keys to TV. Not everyone can do that personality, but who has influenced you? Like who has given yeah. you advice? Where does that come from? And how are you able to do that? Because a lot of people can. That's kind of the big transition from playing to being on TV and being successful on TV. Yeah, Chuck, Chuck has been a big part of that, man, because I feel like I feel like Chuck has always been himself. Uh, whether people disagree, nobody's hot and cold on Chuck. You love him or you hate him. I think that's the best place to be. You don't want people lukewarm on you. You don't want people like, you know, because they don't stay. People that hate you will stay because they want to hate you more. And people that like you will stay because they want to like you more. Um, and so Chuck has been a big influence. Um, Stephen A has been a big mentor to me. Um, here, like since I started doing a lot of stuff in New York, um, Greeny on Get Up, um, the technical parts of television. Um, but like my biggest influence, man, has been Laura Rutledge has been a huge influence on me. Um, you know, Laura started hosting, I believe, in 2015. We've been on the same show since. Uh, we've been relationship-wise in TV. We've been working with each other longer than anybody else I've been working with. Um, she's taught me a lot about television and from a hosting role. Um, I, a, a lot of stuff I love that RC does. Um, watch him. I love his transition into hosting. Um, but but if I say a pattern after anybody, man, I don't know, Drew. I don't. <laughs> I don't, man. I just, you know, I'm I'm from Louisiana, and I remember. I know. I told you this, man. I grew up doing this with my dad and my uncles, bro. Like this is not for me something that I come in and like, I need to be technical. I need to make sure every word comes out right. And I need to get names wrong. I think the thing that keeps me, um, that keeps me honest in television is I'm a mess up, bro. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, and I embrace that because if you are looking for somebody to be perfect, I'm not the guy. 
Um, but if you're looking for somebody to be real, you're looking for somebody to be honest, um, not afraid to, you know, mix it up or say what needs to be said when, when people beating around the bush, I'm your guy. But I just, um, I have a ton of respect for a lot of people. Strahan was a big influence because of how he expanded and how he was able to do multiple things. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a conglomeration of a lot of people that I, I admire. Um, but I would say Chuck is probably the closest because Chuck don't give a damn and I don't either. That is good. Stephanie Drewley, you mentioned earlier, executive mm -hmm. vice president for a long time at ESPN. She's the one who put you on SCC Na nation yeah. with Laura Rutledge, um, with Paul Feinbaum, with Tim Tebow. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's, what's it like working with Tebow? It's like traveling around with a, a rock star. <laughs> That's what it's like. Like, especially in the Southeast, people fainting, uh, people throwing stuff at him that they that they need personally, <laughs> that they give it up for Tim Tebow. So um it was great, man, to see him in that element. And you know, you realize how much people you realize how much people go crazy and admire not just the football Tim Tebow, but what he does with his faith and how you know he his night to shine thing, I think is one of the most phenomenal things in this country when it comes to giving back, um, especially the special needs kids. I'm not doing a PSA for Tim Tebow, but that's really at the heart of that dude. So I think I, I like always mentioning that when people ask me about him. Uh, he really cares about that, and his team does as well. Um, and one guy I forgot to mention who I should never forget to mention is Paul Feinbaum. Like, Paul has been a big influence as well. His radio show um, dealing with a lot of people that were weird um, really let me know I didn't give a damn because I used to go toe-to-toe -to -toe <laughs> with some of the craziest callers ever. I actually was about to fight a dude named Charles. He said he was going to beat me up, so I said, I'll meet you when I get to Auburn. Uh, and we were, you know, at first I was like, are you playing or are you serious? Because I'll meet you there and we'll throw hands. But uh, it ended up like that, 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 Paul Feinbaum's show when I was at SEC Network was probably the thing that prepared me most for a large-scale audience um, when it comes to having a conversation about so many different things. Like, we on Paul's show, we talk SEC football, we talk coaches, we talk Kaepernick, we talk food, music. I introduced him to a lot of things. My culture, like, it was just a great opportunity um, with both of us to kind of learn from each other. Young kid coming in, Paul never really being around the athletes that he covered for an extended period of time. I thought that mix was phenomenal, and I learned a lot from Paul when it came to that. And even in our disagreements, um, even in times where I had to explain to him um, from a Black perspective why that might have been offensive um, and vice versa, like what he was thinking. So it was a lot of a lot of great um, things outside the camera with Paul, like gaining understandings and how we looked at things. Marcus, our ace producer, AC Wyatt, is telling us that we need to ask you about Paul's uh, hair care. <laughs> it is the most legendary clip on Twitter, I believe, is Sports Talk <laughs> Radio. We were at Auburn, I believe, and I asked Marty and, and Tim, like, what do they tell the barber when they go? into the barbershop because you know they got these swoops and stuff all in their head man and i'm like do y'all ask for that like put a wave up there and marty said a number two and 
a number two and, and like trim the sides. And Tim looks at Paul and says, Paul, what do you tell him? And we lost. <laughs> and you know he got the he got the hair on the side, so I said lead the side. This is what he tell him. <laughs> but now I, we get that clip. I'm telling you, man, I get that clip probably every month and a half or two months, and I laugh like it's the first time I ever seen it. Every time, yeah, his hair care is lead the side. That's what he tell his barber. Yeah, that's hilarious. Last one for me. What I gotta know what happened at the end of the the confrontation with Charles. So you're supposed to meet at Auburn. Did you actually meet or did you, did you yeah, guys we met, at, we, we met at Auburn. Charles was five, eight, Drew, a buck 30, bro. Like it I'd have went to jail in Auburn, man. Oh, um, I think Charles told me he was going to kick my ass or something when they saw me. And I said, uh, I said, I asked Paul like, are we doing TV or he's serious? Cause where I'm from, when you say that it's time to go, there ain't nothing else to talk about. And, uh, but no, nah, man, he was doing it all in fun. And me and Charles, like, we had a great relationship. I talked to him uh, so many more times on Fine Bomb Show after that. But at first, I didn't know. Because, you know, you hear about Fine Bomb Show, and you hear how people come. So I had to, like, figure out if he was being serious or not. He wasn't being serious. <laughs> There's no chance he was being serious when I saw him. I have one last one. It's a, a, a Marcus, you're from Louisiana. You're from Baton Rouge. Yep. Uh, that, that whole area, totally, it's known for its seafood. Yeah. Right. Oh but my God. You, you did. You did play a. You played a season in in Baltimore. So you tried yeah. some of the Baltimore blue crabs, right? Don't even try it. Come Don't on, man. It. It's, it, listen. <laughs> the the, the meat is so sweet. <laughs> I got a ton of respect. Owings Mills was phenomenal. They use Old Bay down there. We don't use Old Bay in the South. Um, <laughs> our seafood is second to none to anybody in this country. I don't know about other countries. But Louisiana seafood is, guys, we need to go. If y'all ever in that area, call me. Who, and who introduced you to the Maryland Crabs in Baltimore? What what player? Uh, Tori Smith. Uh, yeah, Tori Maryland Smith. guy. That's yeah, right. Yeah, and it was, listen, it was good now. As you guys can see, I love to eat. So it was good. <laughs> but it was definitely not as good as the one at home. That's awesome. Marcus Spears' career has just been going up, up, and away. Uh, Ten years now at ESPN, started the SEC Network, now on uh, NFL Live every day, all the shows, and then just added Monday Night Football Countdown with Van Pelt as the host. Uh, Marcus, we appreciate it, man. Hey, I listen to you guys. Y'all do a phenomenal job, man. And Anytime, brothers. Anytime. Appreciate it. I really enjoyed, Andrew, listening to Marcus talk about his career and just the way he approaches going on and just being yourself, not being afraid to make mistakes. And I learned a lot from him, including, what's this with Drew? You're Drew now, not Andrew Mar You've been Andrew Marshan, the clicker. Yeah. There's a new nickname. Yeah, I mean, Marcus, he calls me Drew. Uh, some people do. Hello, my name is Drew. When I was at Ithaca College, it was a while back, um, my I think sophomore year I was on the radio station TV station I was writing for the newspaper and I changed my name to Drew Marchand because I noticed and this is really nerdum uh Al Michaels Bob Costas Chris Berman uh get you going on on one syllable two syllable Andrew Marchand that's not gonna work so I went Drew Marchand the problem was Everyone started calling me Drew. Not that, not the WICB, the radio station at Ithaca College was listened to by everybody, but everyone started calling me Drew. I didn't really like that. I like Andrew better. 
but some people call me Drew. I still have some friends from Ithaca who call me Drew. Uh, so uh, I, I could have been Drew Marchand because one syllable, two syllable. Now there are some at that time, Brett Musburger, one syllable, three syllable. Jim Nance was, you know, pretty big already at that time. One syllable, one syllable. Uh, but uh, but I noticed that one syllable, two syllable, that was the key to becoming a sportscaster. Well, I've always called you the clicker, one syllable, two syllables. So we're, we're, we're doing well. We're doing well. <laughs> that is good. You're right. You're right. Bobby V, when I covered the mess, he used to call me clicker. <laughs> oh, is it just clicker? One more, one more. I had the story that Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, uh, the quarterback's dad, was a Mets reliever and he was left off the roster. And I like had the story. Next day, these press conferences were on ESPN News at the time, and Bobby V started the press conference go, Clicker, did you have Mahomes not on the roster? Good job by you. This was on, like, national TV talking about the 26th guy. That was a good one for me. But, yeah, Bobby V always called me. That's good. I like that. The Clicker. One syllable, two syllable. Uh, Well, we are at the end, Andrew, of another podcast. So uh, thanks, as always, to our guests, Justin Connolly and Marcus Spears. Uh, Thanks also to the master of the board, Chris Mason, producer AC Wyatt. And as always, if you can rate us, uh, put a nice comment in, uh, that that always helps. Uh, But thank you for sticking to the end and thank you all for listening. I was surprised you said 0% quite honestly. And I was thinking about it differently where it was like, I I either had 100%, 50% or 0%. 0.03 percent yeah we're gonna have to teach you how ordometers i i know totally r.i.p orandometer yeah the orandometer had a good run <laughs> <That's it. laughs> and i know others have stolen the joke long time first time i uh <laughs> I, t- I tune in and and i love it that's a producer we should listen to the producer more often andrew i think marcus our ace producer ac wyatt is telling us that we need to ask you about paul's uh hair care <laughs> <laughs> it is the most legendary clip on Twitter, I believe, is Sports Talk Radio. Do you ever have a Beebs haircut, Tebow? <laughs> I you do. You <laughs> oh, man. Are you kidding me? No, dude. That the is Beebs haircut for, that goes that over is, here somewhere. No, that's Beebs for days. You know he's going to change it every two weeks. That's hardcore. My haircut's like uh, you use more product than him, though. Oh, hey, when you I use more, more product than anybody. When you and Tim go get your hair done, how you, what y'all tell him? Like to the left or the right? No, I tell him go. I tell him go number two all the way up to a fade and just give me a faux hawk, man. It's a faux hawk, bro. A number two. Hey, yeah. Paul. What, Paul, what do you tell him? I mean, I'm just thinking. Hey, 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 just a little off the side. Lead just a little bit off the side. Lead the side. I always tell him. I said, leave a little bit on the top. Oh, I love you, Paul Fireball. Everyone called me Marsh. That was my nickname. Like, nobody called me by. I've never really had. I was Marsh, which I always loved. That was my nickname as a kid. I don't really like when I introduce myself to somebody as Andrew and then they start calling me Andy. Andy, we know.